The following is a production of differentbrains.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we've got the pleasure of speaking with a guy who I really admire. I first met him when we were both speaking out at the USAAA meetings out in uh, Tucson. It's Dr. Phil DeMille, who's a very interesting guy. Not only is he like the chief operating officer of the USAAA, which is the U.S. Asperger's and Autism, and I don't forget what the rest of the initials stand for. It's all A's. Yeah. <laughs> it's all A's, baby. And uh, he's also the founder of uh, the American Medical Autism Board because Phil DeMio, like myself, is amazed that we MD doctors get like zero training in this stuff. Phil, welcome to Exploring Different Brains. Thank you, Dr. Reitman. Hacky, good to see you. Good to see you again, too. Um, you know, I, I just want to share with our uh, Different Brains audience, I was on a panel out in Tucson, and Phil, Phil knows me a little bit, but um, I was on a panel with real scientists and really doing great research on different nutrition. And uh, one was speaking about folic acid, and a question came from the audience about... Um, how, what's the best way to get folic acid in? And the researcher who was talking about different pills and pharmaceutical things said, well, actually, the best way to get it is to take in all the green leafy vegetables and the healthy natural foods. And um, Phil asked me, did I want to comment on all the folic acid research that this great scientist was talking about? And I said, listen, I'm not as qualified as these people up here because I listened to his great dissertation and what I got out of it is that folic acid is good for your brain and you ought to eat a lot of healthy vegetables and green leafy stuff. And that's that sums it up. Did I say that right, Phil? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, it, that we talk about vitamins and supplements and methylation and folic Oftentimes, that's the only way we can get it in a very picky kid or adult who has Asperger's or who has autism or, or another illness. Uh, and some of the kids can't swallow and they have feeding tubes. So sometimes those are the ways we do it. But if they're good eaters or if they're willing to eat, some of them, you just tell them, think of the kale as a medicine and eating a whole orange uh, as a medicine. And that has the folic acid in it. And like you say, green leafy vegetables, duck beans, the beans have a lot of it. So if they'll eat these foods, great. That's a great way to get it. Phil, tell our audience how you got into autism. Yeah, I was, um, I was doing about 25% alternative medicine and 75% conventional medicine. Uh, by training, I'm a laboratory doctor. I used to do autopsies and biopsies. I did internal medicine, the adult family care, basically, uh, primary care for grownups. And I also did, I'm board certified in emergency medicine. And 25% of the time I had an office where I took care of common problems with nothing but nutrition and physical therapy. It's all we did. Every once in a while, we'd use a little bit of medication. 
and we de-emphasized that and we got more and more alternative, I started getting referrals from other doctors, mainly, believe it or not, psychiatrists, particularly child psychiatrists who sent very challenging cases that they had a hard time with to me. And we added things in. Uh, we took care of car accident victims for pain uh, with uh, natural treatments, and we would sometimes use medication, but therapy and, and things that, that really, frankly, they weren't getting told by other doctors. And they were a mixed bag of people that needed help for long-term problems. Then my wife and I, um, after being married for about five years, had our son, and within two years, he developed autism. We took my son to MDs, and we got um, dismissive. We got uh, criticized as parents. We got hatred. Um, but one thing we didn't get is help, uh, except from two people. One is another parent. They introduced us to dietary treatments. They introduced us to some therapies. They introduced us to some supplements. And I had learned a little bit about them, but they were wholeheartedly on board about it. And their kid was doing pretty well. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't cured. He's now a patient of mine, by the way, and he's about 20, and he's going into um, to the college level now. He's a brilliant kid. And then the other person that helped was the head of neurology at a children's hospital who leaned forward, looked me in the eye, and said, the one thing we see that helps the kids is these alternative therapies. We can't do them here because we don't accept them. But he looked me in the eye and said, we do see the children improve on this. And... I was just that. That's all I needed to to hear that there were credible people who believed that, and I found that there are thousands of doctors, scientists, and intelligent people that believe in the medical basis of as one major avenue of treatment. It's not the only treatment; it's a major treatment. And you know, you touch on a couple of different areas uh, here that are very important. Uh, one is, and this is one of our challenges I find in differentbrains.com is what I call getting everybody to play nicely in the sandbox. Because if you say one wrong word, half the people get angry with you. And I'm trying to keep everybody happy. I think you're right. We should play in the sandbox the right way because um, the heart surgeon who wants to operate and the heart uh, non-surgeon that doesn't want to operate and just wants to use medication, they disagree with each other, but they're courteous about it. We need to be courteous about it so the parents aren't in the middle and the kids aren't in the middle, and the adults with autism and Asperger's and ADHD and schizophrenia aren't in the middle, and they have a choice, and they have the, all these options offered to them when it's reasonable care for them. Now, this is a, a segue into the overlap into your journey into Lyme disease. And tell us the connection as you see it. Well, we had an increasing number of people contact us. We'd been treating Lyme for years because, as I said, I had my training in internal medicine and I always had some, uh, you know, care at the office that was primary care for adults. We were very busy with the autism world, uh, the ADHD and OCD kids, uh, mostly children, mostly school age. And we got more and more uh, calls from people who were increasingly dismissed by self-appointed mainstream medical doctors and medical facilities um, when the patients were convinced they had Lyme, or they were even told that they had Lyme, but there was nothing they could do, or they had had Lyme, but it's gone now with a week of antibiotics or with one pill of doxycycline. 
and back they up, were still sick. For a minute so, and, uh, Phil, back up for a minute and just explain to our audience, those who might not know the basics of Lyme disease, what it is, and then go on. Yeah, it's a, it's a bacterial infection that you get from the bite of a tick. can also be passed on congenitally, but, uh, but uh, the, the naysayers in mainstream medicine, uh, and there's, uh, there's some that have turned the other way now and are starting to be open-minded, but they don't believe in long-term Lyme, and they don't believe that there's any Lyme in somebody's body in certain states. Many doctors in Ohio, where I'm sitting right now, will tell you you can't get Lyme in Ohio. It cannot be uh, begun, sustained from a tick bite in Ohio. Well, as urban as this is, we have patches of trees and we see deer run around this area behind Kmart and then between here and the coffee shop and the bank, they run around and they carry ticks on them. And the ticks have been tested by the Ohio Department of Natural Resources and they contain the Lyme germ. So animals in this state get Lyme and so do humans, and they get it from tick bites. And some of the women, will a small number of women can pass it along congenitally. We know other tick bites such as Babesia with a B have been well documented to be passed along in animals and humans from the mother to the baby. So we were getting an increasing number of people who needed help for Lyme, and they either believed that they had Lyme or a doctor told them they had Lyme, but they thought it was still there and wasn't treated properly. So there's a whole society of thousands of us around the world where Lyme exists in temperate areas mostly and uh, who see this continually. And there are unequivocally outright cases of Lyme who, who need help, who aren't getting it from the mainstream you know, circles. Sound familiar? So similar to with our autism you know, kind of journey, we wanted to help those people and that's what we do. So we do a great thing for them. I'm just being a little bit facetious. We treat them. So just like somebody with a broken bone should get treatment, people with Lyme should get treatment. So we treat them. And we use a combination of alternative and mainstream medicine. Some people we treat with no antibiotics. Some people that's all we treat them with. We usually use both. Now, you're going to be speaking at the USAAA conference in Portland, Oregon, August 25th through 27th, are you not? Yeah, that's where we're having it, yep. Okay, and tell us more about the conference and the USAAA and how you got into that. Yeah, so U.S. Autism and Asperger Association was founded by Dr. Larry Kaplan, uh, he and his wife, Gail, are the parents of twins. They have uh, the two twins. One is brilliant, and the other one does not have autism, okay? So one is brilliant with autism, and the other one's brilliant without autism. Um, he saw how deficient things were, so he wanted to do an organization. And to this date, it's the one surviving organization that really has had a blend of biomedical educational. We get a lot of teachers that come to this conference, a lot of school administrators. In fact, last conference, I think they may have been the majority of the biggest group, at least. We do have a lot of physicians who come. I'm the chief medical officer, and I'm also on the board of directors. And we um, have biomedical component and a, a board of advisors for that. And we also have advisors who are educators, some who are with national uh, organizations that are basically political organizations to help our government get some information and keep the record balanced, at least to say the least. 
And so we have a very balanced conference. Uh, Temple Grandin comes. We have people like uh, Teresa Rangham come. Dr. Kaplan has come. You've spoken at our conference. We've been very proud that you've enriched our audiences of both the parents and physicians and everybody and the educators and everybody in between of what uh, defines uh, and what distinguishes different cases of Asperger's and autism, what we can do about it. You've spoken about Asper tools. This has enriched everybody. So um, as I always say in the beginning of the conference, look to your left, look to your right and cling to somebody and make a connection because everybody has something to offer each other in the audience and for the people on the stage and the presenters. So we're very proud of our conference and it's been very steady. It's been a moderate, we're, we're kind of the voice of moderation, I'd like to say. And other voices out there are great. They're terrific. But we have a, a real balance of all kinds of things at the conference that really, I think, um, people have been very pleased. Our feedback's been great, and we keep doing it every year. We're in our, I think this will be our 12th year. I think it's going to be our 12th year, Hecky. The ones I've gone to, it was overwhelming the response of the audience and how good they would feel and come up to you afterwards, all of the presenters and out by where we had the uh, the books and the authors and everything. Yeah. It, it's it's like I say on differentbrains.com, we don't want you to feel like the Lone Ranger. It's a community. And, you know, God bless you guys for, for starting that organization. It's done great, great things. The vibes there are terrific. And you bring together the, the Temple Grandins and Stephen Shores and everybody uh, out there. And, uh, you know, Larry, uh, Larry Kaplan and yourself, Phil DeMeo, do such a terrific job in the leadership there. Um, I want to also mention and ask you about the other organization that you founded, the American Medical Autism Board. Tell our audience about that. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a small organization because our funding is small, but the ideas are big that we don't have enough doctors that are trained in this area uh, because the training's not there and specialized training and specialized experience is what's needed. And then that should be recognized just like the orthopedic surgeon, the cardiologist and the emergency physician have a board certification hanging on the wall that says, a, um, an organization that's heavily involved with knowing what it takes to have the training and the experience to be able to independently treat as a specialist the kid with autism from a biological standpoint. And what do you say to a parent who says the school won't let him eat that certain food there because they say it's too much trouble and it's just a diet and they don't do that? Well, they do that for the kid with a peanut allergy they do that for the diabetic kid who can't have certain things and who must have certain other things. So we will write a prescription. I'm doing one this morning. I'll sign it as soon as we get off the air here. And, and that's for this one kid who's got a letter that describes the medical setting, just like the kid with seizures who needs to be up front, but away from the flashing lights and maybe wear mauve colored or yellow tinted sunglasses in the classroom that everyone else thinks is weird and it's a fashion statement, but it's not. Stephen Shore, Dr. Shore wears the, the visor all the time because he can't do the lights right. flashing above him because it affects his brain and it affects all of us, but he's an example of how we have kids that we need to do that for. So the experts in it, um, 
should be recognized. That's what the American Medical Autism Board is all about. Phil, for our audience who wants to know more about you and your practice and your organizations, how do they get a hold of you? The way to get a hold of me, uh, you can look it up under Philip DeMio. That's D-E-M-I-O. So you can go to drdemio.com. So drdemio.com. And you can see about our offices in Columbus, Ohio, and Cleveland, Ohio. We have phone numbers there, and you can contact us through the web or by phone. And that allows you to get in touch with us. And uh, we are happy to hear from you. In addition, the work that we do involves the U.S. Autism and Asperger Association. And to hear about that, to know more about the organization, uh, if you're kindly interested in donations, or if you want to attend our conference and see who the speakers are, you can go to usautism.org. That's usautism.org. And for the American Medical Autism Board about how physicians can um, look at ways to have uh, their level of competency recognized as a board certification, you can go to amab.com, A-M-A-B.com. That's for the American Medical Autism Board, .com. Well, Dr. Phil DeMio, thank you so much. Thanks for all you do for so many. Thank you. And helping all of us whose brains might be a little bit different. Thank you. Hacky, thank you. You've been uh, in the ring and fighting uh, the fight of your life one time after another, and you've been outside the ring fighting for the lives of kids and adults with Asperger's and other associated things that really affect them. And I couldn't thank you enough. So please don't you stop either. Thank you so much. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.